Well, let's turn again to the passage which I read, which is in Joshua chapter 11. It's page 187 in the Church Bible. And I've given my title, title to my message, Our Sufficiency is in God. So as we come to anniversary time, it's just good to remind ourselves. We look to God, we acknowledge God's goodness and thank him. But we remember that our sufficiency is of God. Just imagine that you were eating a meal. And uh, have you had sufficient? It's an old saying, enough is as good as a feast. Because sufficient means enough. You could have more. Perhaps you sometimes feel like more, but have you had sufficient? And if you have, that's plenty. That's, that's the right amount, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, when um, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him, he was writing in Corinthians. Uh, the Lord Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul knew that God's grace was sufficient. There'd be times when perhaps he wasn't sure how to go, but God would be with him. He knew that God's grace would be sufficient for whatever the trial, and he was thinking about the fall in the flesh in that instance. And if you have been saved by God's grace, then you will prove every day that he supplies your needs. How great is our God. So our sufficiency isn't in ourselves or what we do, it is in Almighty God. Now, as we come to Joshua, they are fighting battles. They're going into the land of Canaan. And what is the constant theme of these battles? It is that God is fighting for Israel. God gives the victory. You may know a few chapters back, they had a defeat at a place called Ai. Why was that? Well, they, they did it in their own strength. They didn't trust God. They didn't look to God. They needed God. God was the one who would give them the victory. Their fighting came to nothing. And as, we, as you come to this anniversary, there's a verse which appears in Deuteronomy, which was the word of the law given before they went into battle. It appears in the Psalms in a similar way. It's this. Some trust in chariots, and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So Psalm 20 verse 7, what is that telling us? Think about it today. Some trust in money, some trust in their technology, in their power, whatever they can get. But what as a church do you seek to do? You seek to trust in the name of the Lord your God. And Joshua is an example of that trust. He went forward, he obeyed God. And God gave him the victory. So something to remember. Because most people leave God out of their life. Most people are trusting something else. Trusting themselves. What they can do. Or perhaps just hoping things will get better. But the Bible comes back. We need to trust in God. We need to trust in Jesus Christ as our saviour. It's a wonderful blessing if you can say in a personal sense... I am trusting Jesus Christ. I thought of the cross. That is the hope. That is the foundation of the church. Well, as we consider Joshua, let us seek to live by faith, 
trusting God, going forward in faith. Now, just mention as we come to Joshua 11, there's a, a bit of a change. Because previously, uh, in, the, in the battles in Canaan, God has worked in extraordinary ways. And he is able to do that. Remember the dividing of the River Jordan, the falling of Jericho's walls. Uh, in the previous chapter, the large hailstones and the sun stood still. But God usually works by means. So God is at work, God is giving the victory, but he uses people like you, people like me, in obedience to him, going out in faith, he uses us to accomplish his purposes. So here we see that is what God is doing in these battles. So this chapter is a bit of a summary. It's a summary of a whole range of years even, where God was giving victories to Israel as they conquered the land of Canaan. Does that mean in any way God wasn't with them? No, not at all. If you notice in verse 8, it says, And the Lord gave them, that's the enemies, into the hand of Israel. God was with them. God was sufficient. But they had to go out and do as God said. They had to fight the battles. We see that in the Bible, don't we? God is sovereign. God is the one who'd made great promises. God has said, you will conquer this land. It's your inheritance. But they still had to go out and fight the battles and look to God each day. So remember, God is sufficient. He's sufficient for you individually. He's sufficient for you as a church. And pray that God will indeed help you to understand that you need him and that he is with you. And that as you go out, he will continue to be with you. Well, I've got six points. It won't be very long, so don't worry. Uh, but I've got six points. Uh, all have a, uh, an O in, in, the, in the message. As we just look at some narrative in this chapter, what are the lessons we can learn? The first one I want you to note is the opposition to God's people. Just going to notice some events in chapter 11. There was opposition to God's people. In the previous chapter, there was a de defeat of the Amal Amalekite kings. Uh, and we read various words. God was there. They were struck uh, with the edge of the sword. There was none remaining. And what is the key to the victory? Verse 42 in chapter 10 says, And Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. The God of Israel fought for Israel. That was the key to their victories. Now what happens? We sadly see it, don't we, in wars today. Um, Israel gained a victory and then their enemies, others, they formed a bit of a, an alliance. We read of King Hazor, he was the chief king in this alliance. He gets to other, other kings and so they form this alliance and make plans to fight against Israel. And we must remember, I said it in the introduction to the reading, these people had set themselves against God. They were idol worshippers and they had set themselves against God. We can say that this was a just conquest. They did not repent of their sin. They did not see their sin. They despised the God of Israel, the one true God, and they opposed all of God's people the Israelites. But as we think about them as enemies, notice verse 4, and they came out with all their troops 
A great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore, with many horses and chariots. So why do you think we're told that? That's a big army. That's a big confederation. They've got together pretty well. They're going to fight the Israelites. Who could stand against such a a great horde, we're told? Multitude as the number of the sand on the seashore. Well, the answer to that is God is able. And we're told that because we need to realise it is God that is giving the victory, not the Israelites' power or skill or their military excellence. Nothing like that. It is the greatness and the power of God. So remember this as we just think this morning, here was the opposition to the children of Israel. And Christians will have opposition. The Bible tells us it comes in different ways. It's our own sinful nature. It opposes the good that we want to do. Even the Apostle Paul had that struggle. We know that Satan tempts us. And we can be tempted not to do the good that God wants us to do and which we want to do with God's help. We know that the world around us has all sorts of ideas and ideologies and all sorts of things to distract us and keep us away from God. Perhaps you're tempted by some of these. Well, we need God's help. We need to pray. You need to confess your sin and come back to the Lord. And yes, as we face a world where there's many people who just are sort of anti-Christian because of the secular ideas that are around there today, we need to remember that our sufficiency is of God. And so, yes, they were great. Yes, they were many. Yes, they came in different forms. Hordes of them. God is greater. And God is greater than those who oppose you. Just remember that. Whatever it may be in your life, whatever the seeming difficulties that come, God is greater than those who oppose you. Secondly, let's just notice, uh, they overcome with God's help. They overcome with God's help. What do they need as we would face a, a, a big battle as a Christian? If you're facing a struggle in the coming week, I hope the first thing you do is you stop and pray. You commit it to the Lord. You want to do what God has directed you to do, but you commit it to the Lord because you need God's help. And they needed God's help. And we are pleased to read in verse 6, And the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, was the servant of God, taken over from Moses. And we read in verse 6, God spoke to Joshua. There was that communion with God. And he said this, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. Well, If we were faithless, we think that's not possible. There's so many. It's just too much. There's just too many of them and all those chariots and horses. But no, God has spoken. And we see then uh, that there is this wonderful way in which God provides for them. And I'm just going to notice another verse. It's similar to the one I mentioned in Psalm 20, but in Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1. They had been told before they went into battle, so this was before they went across the River Jordan, 
Deuteronomy 20 verse 1, when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And more instructions. What words of comfort? How did they overcome? With God's help. God was with them. He had been with them in the past. Notice how often God says that to people. And he says it to the children of Israel. Look what he did when he brought you out of Egypt. God had been with them in the past. And God would still be with them. He is God today. He will still be with you. God is greater. And with these words of God spoken to Joshua, you can see that there's no doubt, is there? God is going to gain this victory. To you and I, it would seem impossible. Too many. But you must remember that we overcome, not in our own strength, but with the help of God. Now, God used the tactics of Joshua We read in verse 7, it was a sudden attack in verse 7 and God delivered them. And then verse 8 tells us, how did they overcome? We might say, and the Lord gave them, that's the enemies, into the hand of Israel who struck them and chased them as far as Great Sidon and onwards we read. There was none remaining and Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him, he hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. So remember... God had given his wonderful word of promise, word not to be afraid, but they still had to go forward into the battle. God still uses you and me in the working out of his purposes. Why hamstrung the horses? I don't know if any of you know much about horses. I know virtually nothing about horses. But I understand this would have disabled them from military use. They may still have had some uh, some use be able to do some things but they would have been disabled from military use so the enemies wouldn't have been able to get the horses again and and fight back and so God was able to give them the victory so remember again that verse some trust in chariots and some in horses no point whatever the world offers you even vast sums of money we read about don't we today but no we will trust in the name of the Lord our God And that's important, isn't it? How do we overcome with God's help? That may be individually, and it is as a church. You sow the gospel seed. You seek to reach out to others. You pray that God will bless it and bring forth spiritual life. But you go knowing that God is able, and you go trusting that he will do it. And yes, we rejoice, don't we, when we see those born again by the Spirit. And you can go forward, resting in God, knowing that God is able, knowing that God is with you. And so here we have an example, don't we, of God overcoming mighty armies with powerful weapons, demonstrating again that God is able. Well, as we look on, we see in verse 10, Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword. Uh, And we read that Hazor is singled out for mention. It seems it's the key city of the region. It needs to be taken out. You can understand that strategically. And it's burned with fire. Because this key city was the only one burned, but it needed 
to be removed. And as I was thinking, you know, sometimes there's something in our life hindering our walk with God. Perhaps you have something which means that you're not committing fully to God. You're not working fully for the Lord. You know you should, and at times you want to, but there's something which gets in the way. Perhaps it's a a secret sin which you haven't confessed and you need to do. Perhaps it's something else you have an interest in which isn't wrong, but it's taking up too much time. I wonder if there's something hindering your commitment and service. You need to ask God to help you to confess your sin and to put that to one side and to put God first. Here in the order, even in victory, they had to do certain things. uh, And we read that uh, they did as God said. They had to deal with this city, which was the head of all the other cities. So they overcame. They overcame with God's help. You and I must trust God, even in the difficult situations. Thirdly, obedience to God. Victory is completed. All the kings and the armies were killed. There was a substantial spoil which was taken. Uh, And as we think about this, how did they deal with victory? How did Israel deal with the victory in the battle which they won? Well, just notice in verse 12, and again, twice in verse 15, we read along these lines, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. And then verse 15, again, just as Moses, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded him. He left nothing Undone. Obedience is important, isn't it? We sometimes, people think, well, I want God, but I want God on my terms. No, if you truly want God, God knows what is good for you. He's given you his word. You should want God on his terms. And that is obedience to him. That's what Moses, Joshua here was saying, I'm going to do what God told Moses and Moses told me. I'm going to obey God and I'm not going to leave anything out. I'm not going to do part of it my way. I want to obey God fully. There was a survey in America. A significant number of Christians accepted the Bible was God's word and its authority. But there was also a significant proportion of them that in circumstan- certain circumstances, they saw that they, would, well, they wouldn't need to follow God's word. So they believed it was truth and God had given it, but they also knew that, well, they thought in certain circumstances, they might be able not to obey. That's not true obedience, is it? That's half-hearted obedience. God has spoken. We rejoice in all who God is. Uh, And we see here uh, this obedience to God. We can ask questions as we look at some of these Old Testament chapters. Should they really have killed everyone? Isn't this unnecessary vicious? We do have questions. As I've mentioned, God is holy. Sin is serious. These people resisted God. They refused to turn to God. And so we see that God determines the just punishment on sin. We must take notice of what God said. And that's what Joshua was doing. Well, what an example Joshua is. An example of obedience. We might say he was typical of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave perfect obedience 
to God his Father. And we know that wonderful blessing of that perfect obedience because only Jesus could fulfil God's plan of redemption on the cross because he was the sinless one. He was the obedient one and he committed himself completely to the will of God. So obedience to God, how is your obedience every day in your life, in your heart? How is your obedience to God? Is God truly first so that you want to honour him in your life? Just remember, being obedient to God's word is following Christ, who is the great example of obedience. Just think of ongoing conquest, number four, ongoing conquest, as we read in this chapter. This chapter continues with an account of Joshua and the Israelites taking the land. Verse 16 tells us, so Joshua took all that land, the hill country and all the Negrab, uh, the land of Goshen, the lowland and the Arabah and the hill country of Israel and the lowland from Mount Halak, which rises toward Mount Seir. And yet a vast amount of land, vast areas of Canaan were conquered, kings were captured, victories were gained. And we know that this took while over a long time. Verse 18 tells us that Joshua made war for a long time with all those kings. Years and years. So we have in this chapter a summary of the ongoing conquest of the Israelites over Israel. Now modern warfare, sadly we read about modern warfare, can blast holes in things, can kill people so quickly. But even modern warfare can sometimes take a while. So you can see that here, as we think about this conquest of Canaan, you can see how this took a long time. And God's word condenses his history into just a few lines and verses. What can we learn? Well, the conquest was long. There was a series of battles. They had to remember what they were told. Uh, We read in... Deuteronomy chapter 7. As they were given instructions before they went in, Deuteronomy 7, 22, we read this. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. So we see here that they had to gain the victory, but slowly. Sometimes you and I, we want to achieve something. We have something, we think, well, that's good. We want to do that. Uh, And then it doesn't work out, takes longer, uh, and we perhaps give up sometimes. Perhaps there is something for God And it's good, isn't it, that we commit ourselves to God and his work, something we want to accomplish. But it takes time. And gospel work can take time. Um, Over the years of my pastorate, we've had a number of occasions where someone has come to our church as a result of the introduction by someone who came many years before. They come to the children's club or someone else has spoken to them or someone in the locality has said, well, I used to go there. Why don't you go there? And we rejoice when that person has been converted. 
But it's sowing seed, isn't it? It's sowing gospel seed for good news, pointing to Jesus Christ. It's praying. It's ongoing effort. And yes, sometimes we, and we do seek those responses. We do speak that God will be at work. But it is a long sowing process. We must continue to trust God. So I'm not talking about things we don't get round to. That's not good, is it? But in the ongoing work of the gospel, we are to labour and keep labouring. We are to commit the work to God. And what did Joshua need? We might just read of a few years in, 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 in verses here. He needed to endure. He needed to keep looking to God. He needed to keep remembering that God was the one giving the victory, not himself, not his army. His sufficiency was of God. He needed to trust in the promises of God. In Hebrews, a verse which should encourage us to keep going. In Hebrews 10, 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We have need of endurance. Fifthly, think about the objective of God. Might seem an odd heading. What do I mean by the objective of God? Well, we'll come to that in a moment. But verse 19, there was not a city that made peace with the people of God except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. Well, the conquest, conquest continued. What was missing from these Canaanite people? I would suggest what was missing was repentance. They were a people devoted to idolatry. They had seen some remarkable things. Remember Rahab? She'd seen the true God. She'd had faith in the true God. She'd seen through the Canaanites. She was rescued wonderfully when the Jericho was taken. She trusted in God. But these people, they were stubborn. They were hard-hearted. They rejected the God of Israel. And so they did not seek God and they didn't seek God they didn't seek to repent of their sin they were happy with their idolatries and various multi-gods they had in Canaan different gods for different people groups and so as we read verse 20 for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle what does this mean it Questions arise when we read verses like this sometimes. Do we find it disturbing that God could do this? Does it mean that God is to blame for their obstinacy? No, it isn't. What is God's objective? Well, God is sovereign here. He's working. He's good. And as I said, God's justice doesn't overthrow human responsibility. Clearly, the Canaanites were adamant in their hatred of God and Israel. They wanted their idols and their sins. So what does God do? He hardens their hearts. He confirms their attitude. Had he not done so, they might have insincerely asked for peace. There might have been a false compromise which would have undermined the true worship of God. They might have schemed against him had there been a false peace. They might have tried to trick Israel. But by God hardening their hearts, he prevented this and God brought judgment on them for their sin. And theologically, we sometimes call it judicial hardening. 
The attitude was set. We have it in Romans 1. God confirms the attitude of those who so set themselves against him. And the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What does this mean? What does it tell us? All of us are sinners. When is the time to repent? What does the gospel say? Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to repent. One day when the Lord Jesus comes and ushers in the end of the age, it will be too late. The Bible says this is a day of grace. Today, you must seek the Lord. And yes, we rejoice in the gospel. The gospel that is to go into all the world, the invitations which are to you because of Jesus. But if you truly repent of your sin and confess your sin to God and trust in Jesus and what he has done, he will receive you. He will forgive you. We don't see that here in these people. And sixthly and finally, just mention obstacles overcome. The conquest was ongoing, verse 21 onwards. And then we read, um, we read of the Anakim. You may have come across the Anakim before. They've been mentioned a number of times. If you think back to when they sent spies into the land, uh, and Joshua and Caleb were two of those spies, there were Anakim in the land. They were giants. And ten of the spies said, oh, we've got to be too scared. We're never going to conquer this land. There's giants there. So remember, we are to trust God, not ourselves. Remember our sufficiencies of God. And what happens here? Joshua came at that time, we read in verse 21, and cut off the Anakim from the hill country. Just a statement, but these were giants. But God gave them the victory. And we read from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the country of Israel. You see, God is greater than those who oppose us. Sometimes our fears are groundless. The things we have to do in our lives, the things we have to overcome, the seemingly obstacles which life sometimes throws up. And sometimes in church life, it's difficult. How will we resolve that matter? And yes, we have a world of sin, a world when there's complications. And, and we, we think, well, we rejoice. Someone is converted. And yet... There's all sorts of past things which have happened, which are, which are getting in the way and are difficult. We rejoice that God is greater than those obstacles. And we look to God to provide the way. And perhaps you have fears, perhaps you have concerns about the future. Remember, God is sufficient. He is able to remove those obstacles. In the book Pilgrim Pogre, Pilgrim's Progress, we read of Christian, the man on a journey. He was approaching Palace Beautiful. He walked down the passage to it and saw two lions. And John Bunyan writes, the author, he says, The lions were chained, but he saw not the chains. In other words, he still had all his fears. He just saw the lions. But God is greater. The lions were chained. God had already removed that obstacle. And so you and I, we must go forward in faith, trusting God. God is greater even than that most difficult obstacle that you have. And we know that God is almighty, able to remove those obstacles. And perhaps those things which you're worried about, 
They've already been dealt with. They've already been chained. God has already removed them from your path. So remember, God is able to overcome these great obstacles. Let me conclude. Old Testament history. Many lessons from the Old Testament. It's all God's word and we rejoice in it. We must remember, I trust here, that God is greater than those who oppose us. Whoever it is, whatever the ideology, whatever the worries, God is greater. And what do you need to do, whether it be individually or in church life? You need to look to God and acknowledge that trusting him, he can overcome those that oppose you. You need his help. You are to trust him. But you are to prove that he is sufficient. And be children of Israel. Prove that. Sometimes it was a painful lesson at AI. But when they went forward in faith in God's way, God was with them. And so you can know that you are not alone. You can know that God will be with you. You know that his promises are true. He will not fail you. And I'm just going to read again that verse in Psalm 20 and verse 7. So you can remember. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. May that be your trust as a church as you go forward into the coming year with God's help. Amen.